Kind of the whole Candace deal going on there. Her singing and talking at the same time, wasn't that? That's talented. That was great. We do, we got a lot of super talent around here. We really do. I am, I am an extremely blessed pastor. Really am. Not just because people are talented, but people actually showed up today. That's that always blesses me. I'm like, Lord, they came again. All right. Um, I want to... I want to make a quick announcement concerning um, a, a new ministry that we birthed here. It's a prayer ministry that is going to be headed up by Tim and Rachel. Tim and Rachel, would y'all stand up so everybody could get a look at you? Well, maybe just Rachel. Tim, you sit down. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they're leading our prayer team, and um, what they're doing is they're, is they're assembling, gathering volunteers to help them. On Sunday mornings, they meet and pray 30 minutes before each service, so 9 o'clock as well as 1030, and um, <clears throat> they meet right back here in this prayer room, and we have a, we have a sign-up sheet in the back for any of you who are interested in being a part of that. What we're doing is gathering a, enough volunteers where you, you will uh, volunteer once a month in our prayer ministry. Now, if you so choose to be here every week, we have no arguments with that. But, but we're trying to make it where everybody has a part to play in it. And there's already been several who have signed up. And I want to encourage all of, thank you for all of you who have signed up to be a part of that. We all need to be praying. Can I get a good amen? I mean, we're all in this thing together. This is your church as much as it is my church. It's ultimately Jesus' church. But God, if God's brought you here, then, then be a contributor in every way that you can possibly, by service, by giving, and by prayer. We need, we need everybody's active participation in that. And when everybody's doing their share, then this body is healthy and strong. Wrong. Amen. I mean, just like, you know, when all your, all your body parts are working and your body is healthy and strong, but when one goes rogue on you, then, uh, then you feel the effect of that. So we all want everybody do their part, and it helps lighten the load. Amen. The Bible says something about bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So let's do that together. Amen. And I also want to make an announcement, too, that on August the 12th, everybody say August 12th. I'm very excited to announce that One Cause Church is expanding our reach into Dallas, Texas. And we have a, uh, we have a building there that has come back into our ministry that we were not expecting. Um, we had sold it some years ago, and now we've, we've re-inherited that place. Uh, Pastor Everett and Miss Nancy, uh, how long were y'all there in Dallas? Three years, they served one of, as one of our campus pastors there for three years. One of our, I think we were called senior associates back then, right? That's even better name, senior associate. Uh, <clears throat> we're, we're serving there, and that building has come back to us. And so I'm very excited to announce that on August the 12th, we are launching a service there, a 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon service where I and Heather and a team of people will be going down there to have church one Cause Church in Dallas. Now, let me just say this also. That church is also going to be an, a massive outreach center to, the, to, the, to that area. Um, on Sunday mornings, um, our partner who's not here today, Denny Horton, I'll have him come and share his heart with you. Denny's a great guy. I met him at Christ for the Nations. And uh, you can't miss him. Once you see him, you never forget him because he, is a, he has a big presence. And, but he, this man has got 
He's, he's been serving in the Dallas area with a street ministry for two, two years now. He used to do it in Georgia, and then when he moved to Dallas, he began to do that. Ministers to street people every week. And we've sent our yellow bus down there because on Sunday mornings, he's going to begin a service where they're busing in the homeless and have a service for them, and then we're going to feed them lunch afterwards. And, um, and we're going to begin to teach them how to have the God kind of life and have the life that God has for them. And so, I mean, it's just going to be a great great center for outreach. We're also going to be doing a recovery program there, as well as reaching out to the community. Lots of great things. There's lots of ways for you to be involved and down the road, be able, being able to receive donations as far as food and clothing and things like that. So uh, please be praying about this venture. Because I was telling the early service this, this was not something that was born in my heart. I feel like the Lord just kind of said, you're doing this. And, uh, and I'm, of course, obviously, yes, sir. I, I really did. I've learned this a long time ago. The moment I just quit arguing with God, the man, the, the road just smooths out. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? All the difficulty and the, it just goes away. Just say, yes, sir. I'll do it. All right? Because this was not something that was born in my heart. This was something I, the Lord began to show me. He began to expand my perspective and help me see his plan and purpose. You know, God, God does have a plan and does have a purpose. And it's not always like we think it's going to be or it's going to look like we think it's going to look or sound like we think it's going to sound, but I promise you it is for our benefit, and it is greater. I want to live the greatest kind of life I can for God. I mean, we get one shot at this deal, right? We get one shot. Let's give him our all, and I'm, I'm, I am excited to be able to bring the kind of message and teaching and the ministry, the worship ministry we have here and the way we do church right down there in Oak Cliff. Hallelujah. Right there in the... In Dallas, Texas, and so y'all, please be praying for us in that. And if you are interested in joining us in this venture, please do. I mean, we need as many partners as possible, many helpers as possible. Um, so, I mean, you can help in lots of ways. You can help by, by being there to serve. You can also help by, by contributing to that financially. You can also help by praying. All of those things we need. Amen? All right. I think I'm done advertising. Now, uh, what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is the Jesus reality. And I, I just want to say and remind us again here today that Jesus Christ is the absolute difference maker for us in regard to our relationship to Almighty God. He made the entire difference. He made a whole new and living way. He brought a new covenant, a new relationship, a new fellowship with us and God. And it's powerful. And today we're going to look, and we looked at that in, in regards to our tithing and giving and the difference that Jesus made, it took us from paying God to freely giving to God. Isn't that wonderful? That's a lot better relationship that we have the freedom to be tithers. We have the freedom to be givers, to, co to co do as we purpose in our heart. Amen? And I'm glad to be a part of a church where you purpose in your heart to be givers. I'm so glad I'm part to, to, that we are all doing this together. And I want to encourage some of you here uh, that are here and you're not contributors, contributors financially to the ministry, let me just encourage you to become part of the giving family here because what this is going to do is going to help you tie into the vision and it's going to help you own this church even more because the Bible says that where your treasure is, your heart's going to be there. That's what Jesus taught us. Where your treasure. So if you're not part of the giving family, can I challenge you today? Become part of the giving family. And if you are, stay strong in your commitment. Amen? Because God's taken us to great places. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so there's, there, there has, there's a real problem in the church today. Now, there, I, I, there are lots of problems, but 
there, there is a problem that has really hindered the church, and that is that for some reason, and a lot of it comes through just, just ignorance in teaching the, the Word of God, that there's been this Old Testament thinking that has, that has crept into our New Testament believing. And, and, it, and it robs us of what Jesus brought to us. It robs us of what he did for us to see and to experience and to know everything that Jesus Christ did for us. The Bible says God didn't spare his own son. He delivered him up for all of us. So how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So the fact that God showed us that he gave, when he given, the fact that he gave us Jesus, forgive me, showed us his heart that he's not going to hold anything good from us. There's nothing more valuable to the Father than his Son, right? So every blessing of God then came to us by virtue of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's this, this mentality that's crept in and kept people from really experiencing. And you know what? It, is, it has gotten into our believing, and, and we find that our believing oftentimes is not producing what we think it should because we have limited ourselves to an old covenant way and brought ourselves under this era of the law, right? And the law was how God dealt with the nation of Israel at one time, not with the entire, not with everybody, but with the nation of Israel, with the Jews. He brought the law, and the law was brought only because they were stiff-necked and rebellious people. Remember, that's what happened. God, God uh, had a great relationship with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but 400 late, uh, years later when they went into slavery in Egypt and then they were there 400 years, they just became just like the Egyptians. They didn't want God in their lives. They didn't make room for God in their lives. They didn't walk by faith for God. So when God miraculously delivered them out of Egypt, then he had to deal with them in a very harsh way because they were not humble. They were not open to receive from God. Their hearts were no longer soft. They were hardened to God. And so God was, wanted to have fellowship with them, and they wanted nothing to do with that. They just told Moses, you tell God to tell us what to do, and we'll do whatever he says. Man, yeah. you see how that worked out. Uh -huh. So God did it, and then they didn't do what they said they would do, uh -huh. right? Because God wrote this law, and he said, by the way, you nobody's going to be able to keep this. And so they took him up uh, on, on his challenge, and then they all failed, God proved himself right, that his relationship with us was not meant to be written in stone. His relationship with us was meant to be written on our hearts. And see, God longed for this relationship with Israel, but they didn't want any part of it. And so the law came. And when that law came, Paul said something like this. The law came, sin revived, and I died. And I found out that my ability to sin came through the law. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says the strength of sin is the law. That is, the right now power to act on sin is the law. Now, it doesn't make the law bad. It just, the law is actually very good. But when that commandment comes, how many of you know when you're told not to do something over and over and over and over again, that that becomes your focus, then you find yourself actually doing that thing you're told not to do? Like my grandmother wanted to take me driving one time. I was 15 years old, just had my driver's permit and we went up to Oklahoma to see her and grandpa and so she wanted me to take her in the pickup down to uh, downtown to that in that grand city of Thackerville, Oklahoma uh, to get something from the store and so we got in the truck and we headed down her driveway and on the way up to the blacktop road which is the main road she began to tell me 
to be calm and to not be nervous. Don't be nervous. Just don't be nervous, Eric. And so that became her mantra the entire time. And even after we got on the blacktop, I could sense her heightened anxiety as she continued to say, don't get too nervous, don't get too nervous. Like it's already not enough for a 15-year-old kid who's got his hands at 10 and 2, and he's trying to remember all the rules, you know, look at the speedometer, look at the mirror of your mirror, make sure you check your side mirrors, watch ahead, you know, be aware of your surroundings, don't look just right in front of you, look out, you know, you're thinking about all of those, all of those factors only to have your grandmother going, don't get too nervous, don't get too nervous, don't get too nervous. And she said that so many times, finally I said, Grandma, I am nervous. I wasn't nervous until you said don't get nervous 150 times. You have defeated the purpose, right? But this is the law, see? The law, when it says don't do, don't do, don't do, we find ourselves doing, 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 doing. And Paul said, and Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 7, I don't have time to get into all that, but but what Paul said was, as it came to me, I find myself doing what I don't want to do and not doing what I do want to do. And so there's this continual lifestyle under the law. Now, I do want you to take your Bible and turn to the very first part of Romans chapter 7, and we're just going to look at verse 4. After that, along verse 7 and down, he begins to talk about the struggle with living by the law. And here's the problem with it. It's because living from the, according to the law is trying to live from the outside in. And how many of you know that where your spirit is? On the inside. And then you have your soul, right? Which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. But then you have this thing called the flesh. The man, the man we are three-part beings. Spirit, soul, and body. But so... This law comes to us, and it has to process through our flesh. (laughs) You see how backwards this is? That the flesh has to get it right first in order for there to be any kind of spiritual benefit. That's a no-win situation. And that's what Paul's saying. Nobody can really live that way. You're you're up and down. you're, you're, You're right and left. You're all over the place. You're schizophrenic. You can't do it. You can't live right that way. I don't care how many, how many times you cry, how many times you kneel down at the altar, I don't, how many times that happens. If you live your life under the law lifestyle, you will not win. You have to simply accept it. Now, let's look at the, let's look at the truth of where we are right now. Romans 7 verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. Thank the Lord Jesus through the body of Christ. See, this is the difference. This is the Jesus reality we're living in today. That he made all the difference to him who was raised from the dead, oh, and that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Hallelujah. Keep going. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused, how? By the law. We're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So we weren't bearing any good fruit. Everything that we were doing was leading to death because it was all in the function and the ability of the flesh. But now, everybody say, but now. Say it it like, like it's the most important thing that you've ever said. But now. We have been delivered from the law. Hallelujah. Having died to what we were held by so that we should serve, how? In the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. That is, see, Jesus, in his body, what he did, he lived perfect. Hallelujah. And by so doing, he gave us the ability no longer to live 
our relationship with God concerned uh, from the outside in, but he came and changed us on the inside so that we could live from the inside out. By the Spirit of God provoking us and moving us and wooing us and teaching us and guiding us and showing us. Are you seeing? Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's a lot easier being led by the Spirit than led by the flesh. We've been delivered from the law and delivered all the way into Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We have total victory in Jesus. See, with the law, it was pay and earn. Pay obedience, earn blessing. Pay disobedience, earn cursing. But under grace, it's Jesus paid it all. Now come and receive what you could never earn by yourself because Jesus earned it for you. Amen. Hallelujah. The fact that we're going to heaven today is nothing to do with our reward. It, that is Jesus' reward for what he did for us. He earned heaven for you. You didn't earn Jesus. Jesus earned you. Hallelujah. So I want to talk to you today about getting the Old Testament thinking out of our lives concerning the presence of Almighty God. Now, this is a very important thing to talk about because <laughs> I've been in church all my life and I've heard about the presence of God and I'm telling you what, I've heard about the presence of God in some very unbiblical and funky ways. And when I look at the Word of God and the more we look at Jesus, the more we realize, hang on a second, it really isn't all that funky. This is real stuff. Something really happened when he breathed his last breath on that cross. Some incredible reality took place for me and for you and our relationship, our ongoing, never-ceasing, never-leave-you-nor-forsake-you kind of relationship. Jeez, I mean, we hear things like this, and you, you might have heard these things, and, and you might have even said them. And I think maybe I've probably said them from time to time. Oh, I was in the presence of God today. Or the presence of God is over there. In those, in those special meetings they're having over there, oh, the presence of God is there. But Jesus taught in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said to them, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, See here or see there, for the kingdom of God is in you. Wow. It's not over there. It's not over here. It's in you. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. That's us. The Gentiles are us. There's a mystery that was known, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This had not been revealed to men that, me that God was going to come and abide in us. We knew at times the, the only reality that men had at times was that God would come and be with them and do great things for them and through them. But now this was hidden that God would come to all mankind and take up residence in them. Yeah. Hallelujah. See, the nation of Israel, they heard from God basically a couple of ways. They heard from God through Moses, who was the mouthpiece to speak to them, but then they also at times God would speak audibly to the entire nation. Can you imagine God all of a sudden saying, United States of America, I'm God. And wouldn't that just freak people out? Like, whoa! I mean, you're just going along and all of a sudden this voice just comes right out of heaven at you. And, and you'd probably react like they did. They didn't like that. 
Israel did not like that. It scared them witless, man. I mean, it made them, they didn't want anything to do. So they kind of came up with a plan. They said, Moses, why don't we just build this tent over here, and then you can go in there and meet with God, and then God can talk to you, and then you can come tell us what God said. That works a lot better for us. That way he's not so in our lives. We can kind of keep him at a distance outside the camp out there in that tent out there between you and him, and we can just kind of live our lives and acknowledge that he's there, yeah, but we want to keep him, you know, kind of out there because that's way more comfortable keeping him out there rather than just in our lives to just talk to us from heaven anytime he gets good and ready. No, thank you. I have, I'm busy. I've got things to do. I've got soccer games to go to. I got to work. I've got, I've got a nap. I mean, I've got really important things, and God just coming in, interrupting my life. We got things to do, things to do. See, God desired to have a relationship, fellowship with all of them, and they said, "No, no, 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 no." You know what? One of the saddest things that I read here. Let's turn over to Psalm chapter one hundred seven for a moment. The saddest things here, Psalm 103, verse 7 says, he made known his ways to Moses. You know why he did? Because Moses says, show me your ways. I read through a bunch of Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. Just in case you forget what Jesus has done for you, just go read that for a little while. And read about the kind of things they had to do just to even have any kind of relationship to God, to even, even approach the house of God. Incredible stipulations. People get mad because we pass an offering bucket. Hey, try to go back there and just live one service. Try to survive a church service because some of them died. If they didn't have everything perfectly right, God would just kill them. It's not a bad idea. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Look at this. He made known his ways to Moses his acts to the children of Israel. All they wanted to see was perform God. That's all they wanted their relationship to be based on his performance rather than knowing him. And I have a feeling that grieved the heart of God. And you know what God did? He gave them what they wanted. Because God honors his choice to give us a choice. Psalm 106, three chapters over. David says it so beautifully here. He says, they soon forgot his works. Talking about after God had delivered them out of Egypt miraculously, they did not wait for his counsel. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. Now look at this. And he gave them their requests, but sent leanness to their soul. He says, you want what you've asked for, but it's never going to satisfy you. It's never going to be fulfilling. You're going to live a meager existence on earth. If that's what you want, that's what you can have. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I see the people of God continually sell themselves short by, by going after the right now thing. They're wanting Jesus to, to just simply be their lottery, right? They just, just, just when I need you, God, I need you to, I need you to come through right then. Do a miraculous, incredible thing and then, and then go back to heaven where you, where you are. Rather than being every day, every choice, every breath of my life. I want you in everything. 
Because I, I don't want leanness in my soul. I want a fat soul. I want my soul to sound like funk music, you know? Some James Brown. I feel good. What? What they, were, what they were asking from God was just a mere existence compared to what he could provide and what he had promised them. It brought no fulfillment to them. But look at Psalm 145, verse 16, what it says. It says, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Hey, do me a favor, say, that's me. Anybody alive in here? Are you a living thing? Yes, you are. Then in what, in what God has for you will satisfy. See, what you're really looking for is in him. The, 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 the longing, the deepest yearnings of your heart are in him, in almighty God. Everything that you've been dreaming for, everything that you've been looking for, every good feeling, everything is found in his hand. Hallelujah. This world can only offer Stops and goes. It can offer these temporary things, these temporary fixes, these temporary highs, these temporary fixes, these, these temporary feelings, but it goes away. It doesn't last. And so men find themselves addicted. They find themselves to, addicted to the, the thing that only brings leanness to their life, addicted to the thing that only just gets them going through one more day until the next day comes. And they've got to start the whole process all over again rather than looking into the hand of God and saying, I want what you have. I want satisfaction. I don't want to live my life according to that Rolling Stone song, I can't get no satisfaction. I want what God has for me, total satisfaction. And it's all wrapped up and found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Everything that God has is everything that you're really looking for. But God gave them what they wanted, and so that's how they lived. And when it came to the presence of God, his presence was merely found in one particular place in a little box in a room behind a curtain. And nobody could go in there except one guy. The temple was set up in such a way that there were two veils, two curtains, and many priests could come behind the second veil, but only one guy called the high priest could actually go back to the place called the most holy or the holiest of all or the holy of holies, right? This is holy, but man, this is the holy of holies, right? I mean, it's so holy that even the high priest himself, the guy who's supposed to have everything together, if he didn't do everything just right, I mean, if he didn't wash his hands right, if he didn't have his robe and all the, everything set just in the right place, and if he didn't walk in there exactly according to as God had commanded him, as soon as he crossed the breach, as soon as he went behind that curtain, bam, he would drop dead. Matter of fact, they tied a rope around this guy's waist just in case he did drop dead that they could drag him out of there, out of the most holy place. That's how intensely holy this place was. God's presence was there, and no man could even stand in that presence. And this guy came with a basin of blood. And the Bible says that he would take that. They'd first fill the room with smoke. They had a fog machine back then, and they'd be like, and they'd fill it all with smoke. And then, and then he would walk in with that basin of blood. Don't you know he, might have, he was probably shaking just a little bit? I cannot imagine having that guy's job. I think being a pastor is a tough, a tough thing at times. But man, being the high priest back then, 
you might not survive that event. <laughs> you better make sure everything is done right. And he walks there with that basin of blood, and he poured it over that mercy seat there, over the Ark of the Covenant. And it was the blood from bulls and from goats. And he did it for the sins of the people once a year. And it would appease God's wrath toward man's sin. But it couldn't totally fix the problem because it was man doing the sin and then it was animals paying the price. Like if you got sentenced, sentenced to prison for 10 years and you showed up with your dog and said, I'm going to let uh, Fido serve 10 years for me. That ain't going to work, is it? That ain't going to satisfy because a man did the crime, so a man's got to do the time. Amen. Now, as much as we humanize dogs, I think that's actually not a bad idea to let dog, a dog serve sentence for. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> In order for our sins to be truly cleansed, truly washed away, a man would have to step in that role. But then again, this man had to be perfect. He could not have any flaws. Now, look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7. Can y'all stand a little bit more? How about, how about a, a little bit more than a little bit more? Yeah. All right, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7. But in the second part, and, and that's what I'm talking about, behind that second curtain, the high priest went alone once a year. When, I think when he's reading this, he's seeing, the biggest word to him is alone. He went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in it. So not only was this guy the high priest for these people, but he's also a sinner too. He had to offer that blood for himself as well as the people because the truth is nobody was perfect. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit, however, indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Oh, man, while that first tabernacle was still standing. So the Holy Spirit was showing, hey, this ain't the best yet. There is something better that's coming. And we look over in the Hebrews chapter 6. I know I'm giving you lots of scripture, but this is very important. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. This is what it's talking about, behind that second curtain. Where the forerunner has entered. He's entered. The forerunner entered for who? For us. Even Jesus having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. See, Jesus went into that veil for us. Jesus is the better way that the Holy Ghost was talking about. Hallelujah. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 27. Or click over. You used to hear pages turning in church. Now you see people hitting their little buttons. Whatever, I'm just glad you got the word of God on you. I had somebody tell me not too long ago, Pastor, I just can't get over you not walking up there with a leather Bible. I'm like, I got more Bible on here than that Bible. I mean, I've got like 10 versions here. I have to carry in lots of, lots of these things. I got it all right. I mean, this is a great tool. Anyway, so, so get over yourself. Amen. Matthew 27, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. That is that Jesus died. This is him on the cross. Then behold, look at this. The veil of the temple. This is talking about that second veil that was keeping people out of the most holy place. There's no way they could go there. That veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Hallelujah. And the earthquake and the rocks were split. See, when Jesus died, he entered behind that veil for us. Thank you, Jesus. And God took that veil that had separated mankind from himself, that 
the, the thing that he never intended for us to have, to, to, to be there. He, he, he only honored men's desire, but this is never anything that God wanted. That thing that kept him from true communion and fellowship with men. God took a hold of that curtain. He said, no more. Jesus has paid the price. The blood has cleansed all men. He's made everybody holy today. And now God moved out of that room, and he's in the men's and women's lives on this planet today. Hallelujah. He came and dwelled in us, in our hearts. He lives with us. He is a very present help. And now he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Nobody could tear tear that veil. It wasn't torn from bottom to top. Men couldn't make that way possible. They're trying to make their way to God, but God made that way from top to bottom and said all are free to come in today. Now we can come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh my God, he loves us. God, he loves us. Mm. So today we no longer have to go to a place, to a building, to a sacred site to experience the presence of God. Ladies and gentlemen, when you get up in the morning, you are in his presence because his presence is in you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Hallelujah. Who what? Is in you. So, as much as I want to go to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, and I plan on doing that someday, but I'm not going there. You don't have to go there to get into the presence of God. You don't have to go down to Rome, to that Mamertine prison where our Apostle Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. You don't have to go there to experience the presence of God. And you go to special meetings at Christ for the Nations, even though I, 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 I do encourage you to go. But you don't have to go there to experience the presence of God or to Kansas City or wherever else things are going on. Because where you go, he goes. See, when you showed up to church today, God showed up. I mean, he wasn't waiting for, he, would, he didn't have his face pressed up against the door going, Jesus, is today the day? Are there going to be anybody here? Right? No. He came when you showed up because he's housed in you. Hmm. Jesus said, if just two or three of you get together, just two or three of you get together in my name, I'm there. Isn't that powerful? This is how much God wants to be in our lives. This is how much he wants to commune with us, to be with us. But we've gotten goofed up about this, this mentality of the presence of God. I mean, there'll be men, and I love Christian television, but I also hate it at the same time. Because there'll be this Dr. Ding Dong and Dr. Smell Fungus, and they'll, they'll talk about how this special meeting is where the presence of God is. And if you'll get here, then you'll really experience the presence of God. Man, I'm so tired of hearing that Old Testament way. Like they, like they just forget that Jesus came. Like they just forget. That's what happens when men put their eyes on themselves and their ability. Just forget about the power of Jesus. Oh, Lord, help us. But the problem is people don't, they often mistake the difference between the presence of God and the manifestation of his presence. Now, listen, I have been in meetings even here in this church and and. and while growing up in many churches where God manifests himself in special ways. People get healed. I mean, people, people cry, people laugh. I mean, th- wonderful things happen. And even at the prophetic conference this year, I was amazed to watch how many of you just stayed late into the night. We, we hardly ever go late for anything. 
But, but during that time, people just, they just stayed in their seats. I mean, there was something special that was going on. It was just really cool. And I, I love when God manifests himself that way. And I love that warm, that glowing feeling. But ladies and gentlemen, we cannot live our lives based on sensuality. We cannot just, just base our relationship with God based on good feelings. Because that's going to sell us short real quick. There's a reason why the Bible says we walk by faith. Not by sight. That is, that sight represents everything that you feel as well. We do not walk by the sensual. We walk by faith. Amen. Can I get a good amen this morning? Uh, and I, I say that because now I, I've, experienced, I've experienced the negative parts of this too. I was telling the earlier service this, and, and around 1994, which was a magic year for me at least because Heather and I got married that year. In August, we'll be 18 years in August. And <clears throat> do you think we'd make it that far? <laughs> say yes. Okay, that's all you got to do is say yes, honey. Dad was pastoring a great church out in West Texas, and I was I served on staff with him. And I'm telling you what, that church was booming, man. It was rocking and rolling, man. People were getting saved. We were training up pastors and missionaries and People, I mean, we had several cases where people got healed of, of really bad cancers. I mean, miraculously healed, miraculous things were happening. People were being filled with the Spirit and lots of activity going on all the time. The lots of activity goes on here, too. But this is what we were experiencing then. And then there was these, these some of you might remember this, there were these, these hot spots that were, that were being talked about, uh, these revivals, they say, that was going down in Brownsville and one up in Toronto, Right? And we were talk, people talking about them. And then we started hearing about these strange phenomenon going on that people were barking in these meetings and roaring and laughing uncontrollably and shaking violently. And I mean, but we also heard the reports where people were getting saved and, and healed and things like that. But then there were these strange things, so much so that there was a group from our church that had to go be a part of this. So they, they rented a van and they took off down. People were chartering buses and, I mean, however they could to get to these meetings. I mean, I remember that was talked about a lot back then. They were calling it renewal. And, and this group from our church went down there, and uh, they stayed there about a week, and they came back, and they began to report to us all these amazing things that they had experienced while they were there. And so we were like, well, that's great, man, praise God. The problem came when they began to try to make that happen where we were. And so they, they heard certain lingo, and they heard certain things. They thought if we would just make, do these things, then we'll get the same experience in the presence of God as they did down there. And so they wanted to hold special meetings apart from those ordinary, regular church services. We just want more of God. That's the kind of things that we're saying. We just want more of God. Because apparently what's being done here is not enough. So they wanted special meetings on Thursday nights. <clears throat> and so my dad was very gracious and said, yeah. Because one of the guys was on staff with him, one of his associate pastors, and he oversaw our college group, and so a bunch of them were in that group. And so he said, yeah, y'all want to do it? Praise God. I'm, I'm excited that you're hungry for the things of God. And so that dozen or so started having these special meetings, and they were inviting people, you come, and if you want more from the Lord, this is just an experience that we can have. And so they, they began to have these meetings. And after a while, some time went by, and they weren't getting the results that they thought they should be getting, so then they tried to just make it happen in the church services. 
So then they became very disruptive to what was going on in the church because they felt like we need to be there to help cheerlead these people into more things. Right? Rather than understanding that pastor is the guy who's leading the way. So they got out there and they were trying to just like cheerlead this craziness. Right? And so, and it, it didn't have that effect. Matter of fact, it became quite divisive because all it was was just annoying to everybody. And let me tell you something. I happen to believe when the Spirit of God is in something, everybody's going to be in on that. I mean, it's, it's going to be obvious that, 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 that it's the Spirit of God. So they were trying and trying. It became very disruptive. And so much so that, that, that Dad had to just have a talk with them and say, guys, this is not working out. As a matter of fact, over these few months you've been having these meetings, there's still 12 of you. Where's the fruit here? Nobody's getting saved. Nobody's getting healed, but you guys are coming in here having a circus act and then going home and acting like you had something spiritual. And act like what we're doing here is doing, not, is, is doing very little to nothing. That you're on some other spiritual plane called a trapeze <laughs> doing circus acts. Thinking that that's the presence of God. Come here if you want to experience the presence. And, 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 well, as a result, they didn't repent and say, you're right, thank you for correcting me. They left the church. They got angry. And they stayed in their little group. And I watched as time went by. One of them's 13-year-old daughter gets pregnant. One of them divorces. And their family lives just begin to fall apart. And I was thinking, how can any of that be God? How can God be any of that? Let's just remember that the church of the living God today is the pillar and the ground of truth. And if you try to get off of that, get around the edge, then you will get funky. You'll just get weird. And you'll find that you, you are looking for something that really isn't there. Out there, rather than looking to him who is already Remember when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit manifested himself in Acts chapter 2 and they all began to speak with other tongues and Peter said, this is that which was spoken by the prophets. This is that. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to hear, I'm here today today. This is that right now. What is happening? This is the activity of the Holy Spirit of God right now where we are gathered in the name of Jesus and where anything is possible in this house. Anything is possible where God's people are. Hallelujah. And we come here to worship our God. We come here to give our time, our talent, and our treasure. We come to hear the word of God and we come to encourage one another and to build each other up. Don't ever act like that's nothing. That's everything. That is the pillar and the ground of truth. Hallelujah. Because where we are, there he is. Amen. So, I'm going to finish with this. Turn over to Genesis chapter 28. You know, when, you, when you're praising the Lord, like this morning, this morning I really sensed a sweet manifestation of the presence of God here during our praise and worship. And I, I have to say, we are really privileged to have the kind of praise and worship that we have here. We are very, very blessed. And because um, it, it's easy. It's easy to just engage. But it's also easy to just take it for granted too. You know what I'm talking about. It's easy to walk in and, oh, yeah. 
I think I'll go get a drink or something. Let's check Twitter, Facebook right quick. Who Instagrammed in the last 30 seconds? Man, I really love this song. So ministers to me. So good. Oh, that's a cool song too. Yeah, that's great. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? It's time to get your praise on. It's time to lift your voice. Clap your hands. Shout to God. Give him everything you got. I mean, we got this 20, 25-minute window. And we're spending like, mm, I wonder, what's, wonder what mom's going to make for lunch. I wonder where we're going to go. We're going to Chipotle. We're going to go to Cotton Patch. I don't know. What we're gonna, I don't know what I feel like. Hey! You're in charge. Give him some praise. Shout to him. Thank God he saved you. Thank God you're not under the law anymore. Thank God you didn't have to kill a bunch of animals just to walk through the door. Hallelujah. You're free to worship God. Man, we ought to be the craziest people in town. We ought to be the most excited about the presence of God, about the power of God, about the, the, the house of God. We, we ought to just be so beside ourselves that we just cannot get over what Jesus has done. And I'm here to tell you, I cannot get over it. I've never been able to recover from what Jesus has done for me. I, I, feel, I feel sometimes like if I, if I stand there long enough, I'm just going to blow up. And you know that feeling. You feel stirred up, right? So you might throw an arm up there. And, you know, I'm not really comfortable with this, but this feels right to do this, you know. And some of you come out of the Baptist church and you're a little slower at getting there. You know, you might put the hand up down here. All right, all right. This is all right. Long nobody sees. Long nobody sees. <laughs> might bob ahead. All right, man. Man, I am so free right now. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you what, the little church I was raised in, people would just get up and just start running around the room. I'm like, what's going on here? You know? <laughs> it's crazy, but it's fun. Sometimes you don't know what else to do, but you ought to just, I mean, think about how excited you get about the things that are exciting to you, right? How many of you, how many of you honestly, honestly, when the Dallas map, you're watching, well, that was a year ago. Dallas map, we got to go back to find a championship for Texas. Uh, when the Dallas Mavericks, you know, when they, oh, in that fourth game against the stupid Los Angeles Lakers, when we were, we were about to sweep them, how many of you guys, let's be honest, how many of you guys sat there and went, yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's pretty cool. No, you were like, yeah, Dirk, yeah. Down with Kobe Bryant, right? I mean, I know how you act in your living rooms. I've been to some of your houses. And then I see you come to the house of God like, well, Pastor, it's not really my personality. Since when, goofball? You were beside yourself, bobbing your head all over the place, shouting in your living room. You come to church and act like, well, this is a personal thing between me and God. Hey, he lives in you. He lives and you think God, you think God likes you sitting still? He's inside. He's on, come on, man, get moving. I want to move around in here. 
with the music rocking like it's like it is. Man, okay, man, I didn't mean to go anywhere near that, but. But you know how God, God teaches us, he corrects us, right? How many of you ever been in church before? And I know this because I've been in church all my life. And the preacher starts preaching. And all of a sudden I'm like, how did he know that? Did somebody tell him? Holy Ghost, I mean, I, did you, did, <laughs> you talking about me to him? I'm, I'm telling you, I feel like, of course, my pastor for many years was my dad. So it was equally scary. That my dad, who didn't know things, was preaching about those things. I'm like, oh, man. Right? And the thing about the Word of God, see, when I was a kid, I got my rear end whipped off. I did. And there were times that I would much rather have the whipping than the instructing. Right? Sometimes dad sat down, he began to talk to me, you know, and he would cry sometimes. That's the worst thing when you make your mom and dad cry, Right? You know, you're like, I stink. I have a real disappointment. And so he's, he's talking to me and saying, you know, son, you know better than that. You know, I love you. And, you know, I'll always love you. And I, and whatever. And so he's singing. And I'm just like, just whip me, please. Just, just, just do what you normally do. This is killing me. Right? The word of God comes to us, see, and a lot of times we just want God to... Do something else because God does not correct us through car wrecks and tornadoes and flash floods. and that's, that's all the devil. That's all the devil's work. God's not judging the world. He already judged Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus took the full pain. But, that, but, but God, you know, the Bible says that the word is a two-edged sword. So what he'll do sometimes, he'll go, and it just kind of walk around. And you're like, uh, can you take that out of me, please? Right? That's how he's speaking to us. And that word, then he'll come over and he'll, he might twist it a little bit. Okay, 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 I agree. Okay, I repent. Right? Just whip me. That's what the word does. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, which means the word of God. I love this. The word of God has contact with every part of man. Sometimes he talks to your flesh. He says, flesh, you need to do what you're supposed to do. You need to act like who you really are because who you really are is not what you're looking at. You are a child of the living God. That's who you really are. You're really the righteousness of God in Christ. You know when the Holy Spirit begins to convict you that way? Begins to talk about who you are? Hey, you don't talk like that. You're a child of God. You're higher than that. You're better than that. You're mine. I have, a certain, I have a certain way for you to talk. You belong to me. Do things my way. Life will be happy for you. That sword won't always feel like a paddle. <laughs> Amen? But I'm, I'm grateful to God that he corrects too. Not only does he encourage us and inspire us and build us with his word, but he also corrects us. And that's important because if you love your child, you will correct them. I'm assuming that you're not the people with your kids out there in the public where your kids are running wild in the restaurants and in the grocery stores throwing fits on the floor. I'm assuming that the people of One Cause Church have got that taken care of. I'm assuming that you are taking control. 
and not letting your child lead the way. Who is, who is dumb, by the way? Who is dumb? That's called immature. They need you to teach them how to be smart. And that nothing does it better than that paddle. You know, people say, spare the rod, spoil the child. Let me say, that's not even, right. that's not even quoted right. It says, if you don't spare the rod, you hate, or if you spare the rod, then you hate your child. Oh, I don't believe that. <laughs> okay. Continue in your chaos then. Right? The Bible says if you don't whip them, you hate them. I don't know how to deal with that except just do what it says. I know that comes across strong, but it has to be strong to us. We're raising children. We're training up children. We're training up the next generation. We got to be strong about it. Somebody's going to be strong. It's got to be us. The church of the living God has got to be the one to show what strength is. That we follow the Bible no matter how we feel about it, no matter what the world says about it, we're going to live our lives according to the truth of the word. Now, who that separates me from, then it separates me. Who it connects me to, then it connects me to. I could flip and care less. I just want to do what he says. Amen? Amen. Man, we're covering the whole spectrum today. And I promise you, uh, okay. Jacob showed up in a desert in Genesis 28. He showed up in a desert. He was running for his life from his brother Esau, who was after him to kill him. And the Bible says when he got to that place, the sun had set, so he went ahead and made camp. He made a bed out of rocks. That's a hard place. He even used a rock as a pillow. Now, you know you're in a rough, rough condition if you're making a bed out of rocks. And the Bible says he's dreamed a dream. A ladder came down and angels were descending and ascending on the ladder. And God spoke and says, I am the God of your father Abraham and of Isaac. And just as I was with him, so I'm going to be with you. And in your seed, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And the Bible says that Jacob woke up in verse 16. It says Jacob woke up and said, surely God was here. Look at this. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. Now, see, it's easy to know that God's in our lives when things are going so smooth. Man, when the music's hot at the church, the preaching's good, you know, uh, everything's just clicking right. Man, it's easy. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. But, man, when you're making your bed out of rocks, when you're in a tough situation, it is not always easy to see that God is with you. But, ladies and gentlemen, whether you are making your bed out of rocks or whether you're on the mountaintop, God is with you because God is in you. And his presence is with you at all times. He is a very present help in time of need. Some of you came in here and you just got through making your bed on rocks. You are in a difficult situation. You need some change. You feel like that God is so far away from you. But I want to help you today, help you get some real perspective on the truth that God is in you and God is with you and God is longing to help you. God is longing to reach out to you and say, if you'll just reach to me, if you'll just acknowledge that I'm here, just just turn to me, just Look to me. Just pray. Talk to me. I will be that help that you need. I will satisfy your every longing. Can you, can you, can you go with that today? Every head bowed and every eye closed in this place right now. If that's you, if you're in this place today and you have found yourself in a hard place and you have found yourself where you've, you've, you've not acknowledged God, you've tried everything else and forgotten that God was a very present help. He was there with you all along. If you're, there, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Eric, I need God's help. I have been going the other way. I'm away from him. I know I am. Even as I'm sitting right here, right here 
in this seat right now, I can be honest and say that I am away from God. And I have not been choosing the right way. Are you here today? Just raise your hand between me and you. I'm not going to call you up here. I just want to pray for you. I just want just acknowledgement of your hand up in the air. Thank you. Thank you. You hear and say, Pastor Eric, I, I just need to renew my relationship with God again. I just need to set my eyes on him who is in me, who's with me, who loves me. Hallelujah. How about maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Eric, I don't even know God. I don't even know. I'm not even part of the family. I've never accepted Jesus in my life. I've never surrendered my heart to him. I've lived life however I wanted to for me and mine. But today, I want him. If God will go after me like that, I want him. If he loves me that much that he died for my sins, I want him. Are you here today? Say, Pastor Eric, pray for me. I'm not saved. I'm not part of the family of God, but today I want to be. You can be that simply by simply believing on Jesus. Are you here today and say, Pastor Eric, please pray for me. I want a relationship with God. I want that new life that he offers. Thank you very much. Father.